Welcome to Healthy, Wealthy, and Grateful with your hosts, Coach Dave, Heather, and James, where we provide you with the tools and entertainment to bring clarity, balance, focus, and butterflies to your everyday life. Hey, welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Grateful. We got Coach Dave, Heather Andrews, and myself, James Johnson. And today we have a very special guest for you, Duff Gibson. And, you know, welcome to March. Here we are. We're three three months into the year and off and running. And, you know, next thing you know, it's going to be Christmas. So, you know, get out there and, and get going and start getting more healthy and getting more wealthy and getting more grateful and so what we're going to do here today is we're going to talk to Duff. I want to tell you a little bit about Duff. Duff is a 2005 world champion in the skeleton. This guy has completely lost his mind. He goes down the hill on the ice, face, face first, yeah. on the ice, head first. Okay. I'd, I'd like to join him sometime. Sounds like a hell of a lot of fun. 2006 Olympic skeleton gold medalist champion. He's a fireman. But me tells you he's even crazier, and he's a fire captain, and he's from Alberta, Canada, eh? And uh, he owns a he owns a company called Dark Horse Athletics. So, Doug, we want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, how you eat your elephant. Um, we are always explaining how you eat your elephant, and you know how you eat an elephant, right? I'm not sure I do know how to eat an elephant. You eat it one bite at a time, okay. and, and and so it's so, I walked right into that. So, yes. so many people, so many people want to go out and, you know, I'm hundred pounds overweight. And by the end of the month, I'm going to be 200 pounds instead of 300 pounds. It's like, it ain't going to happen that way. You have to eat your elephant. And I think if anybody knows that, you know that because, you know, your specialty is how to become one to 5% better. How professional athletes become one to 5% better every year. And we'd like to hear more about that. Maybe you can tell us something about that. Well, that's, you know, I think maybe my sport, skeleton, it's people often say, oh, is it luge? It's like luge, except head first, as you described. And I think we learned the lesson of making little mistakes, being willing to make mistakes, because we're in a perpetual search for tiny fractions of a second. And the example I often use is in my second World Cup race that I ever did, I was tied to the hundredth of a second over, over two runs of approximately a mile each. So of two miles of racing, I was tied to the hundredth of a second for 10th place, one hundredth behind ninth and one hundredth ahead of 12th. And so you have to, when, when you want to get literally a hundredth better and then another hundredth and 1% maybe at the end of the year would be uh, in terms of a race distance, that's, that would be huge. Uh, well, hundred of the be... second, hundred of the second is not even a snap of a finger, is it? I mean, how how, how do you describe a hundredth of a second? Well, when you're when you're going hundred kilometers per hour, it's a meter. It's a wow. it, right. It's it's uh, at the finish line. It's about a meter if you're going hundred kilometers. If you're going sixty miles an hour, so it's it's a tiny amount. How do you how do you gain that? Well. For myself, it related back to understanding what went into each aspect of the sport. As a general rule in, in bobsleigh, skeleton, and luge, we call them the sliding sports. We say it's one-third push, 
one third drive, one third equipment. So I looked at it like that and I thought to myself, okay, let's look at the drive. How am I going to make the drive a little better? Well, part of that ties back to your relationship to the equipment. There's subcategories of every aspect and every year and every off season, I had to plan as to how I was gonna somehow make every aspect better. So it was very methodical, but to your point, it's very much about chipping away and trying. And I think being, you need to be willing to make little mistakes because they're the teaching points and that's how you learn something. And to be, to be number one in the world at something, you need to be a professor in whatever, whatever it is and every aspect of it and to be a student of it. And so, you know, it ties back to sport in particular, so much of that, that what you're trying to adapt only, you know, you say, well, a coach can help you with that. Well, yeah, for sure. Coach, mentors, that's invaluable. But so much of that, in my opinion, is specific to you. So it requires thought. It requires study of yourself as much as the discipline. So that's what I would add to it. You know, it's, it's much like that in the financial world. I mean, people come in and, and what they say is, you know, uh, help me. Well, okay. Or, or give me this bill or tell me what to do, et cetera. It's like, look, I can't tell you anything until I do a diagnosis of who you really are and where you are. All right. It's, it's impossible because everybody's unique. And, it, and it's kind of like in Heather's world. I mean, Heather, can you, can you give me a piece of general gardening information that works for every one of us? No. No, it's not going to work. Okay? I mean, the first thing she asks us is like, she wants pictures of where the sun is going to be at certain times of the day. So we're always trying to find out where we are before we're trying to get to where we want to go. And then, you know, we're not going to get it done overnight. Right. So I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'll do that a lot to you, by the way, just, just to mess you up. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. It's interesting. I, I had a, that reminds me of the, the coaching I did. I was, uh, when I was finished skeleton myself, I was a coach for the eight, for two Olympic cycles after that. And I had strength and conditioning coaches as well. So I was like the head coach. I was more the, the driving coach. I'd go to the team captains meeting, that sort of thing. And I had someone different that would do the weight room stuff, for example. And he was sick or away at one point. So I substituted in. And I remember having this conversation with, with a particular athlete, a, a, an Olympic medal winning athlete who had always defaulted to let other people make the decisions for her. And it became, you know, it, it was a part of her progression to remain competitive and remain one of the world's best for it, that she did that for eight years after she won an Olympic medal, which was kind of a, you know, she won a, she won an Olympic medal in my opinion, partially because the planets were aligned. And then how do you progress? The sport is progressing. How do you progress from that point? Well, part of it was we go into the weight room and she, and, you know, we do a squat, let's say, and, and then that was set number one and it went pretty good. It's, and then it was like, okay, how much, what should I, put the weight to for the next set. And, it, and I think I became annoying pretty quickly because my answer to every one of her questions was, well, what do you think we should put the weight to for the next set? Right, right. 
because ultimately you can relate being a, a gym guy, Dave. I don't mean to characterize you that way. We're both gym guys, actually. That's how we know yes. it's, but, uh, but that's how, you know, all of this, it, it ties back to the, the training program that I did. I tried many different ones. This is such a, this is such a metaphor for a bigger picture. I hope we all appreciate that. But, but weight training for me was I had a coach once that had me doing so many different Olympic lifts all off season, Olympic lifts. I wasn't getting any better. Even at the Olympic lifts, I wasn't getting any better. And what I knew was that for, I'm a strength-based athlete. And so I stopped doing the power stuff, went back to the, you know, the Bulgarian uh, strength programs where you do 10 sets with, with very heavy weight, but less, uh, less repetitions. And that, right. And that peaked my strength in like four or five weeks. And then my Olympic lifts went like jumped up 20 or 30% because I know that about myself. And I try, I'm always open to new experiences because I, you know, as an athlete, I, 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 I want to investigate the ideas that might make me better than I am. But ultimately, uh, my Olympic highlight was at age 39, which is when I accumulated all the knowledge and created the best program for me, which I, I would never have achieved had I only listened to what other people thought I should do for myself. Well, I, also, I also heard you say that you could practice 24 hours a day, 365 days a year and not get any better because it needs to be perfect practice. So you, you're pro you want to practice that what you really need to do, not just practice. It's kind of like throwing a bunch of stuff in your garden. You know, if, it's, you know, if you're planting them all right next to each other, they're probably not going to do very well, right? Right. Well, that sounds like a Heather question, but I, I would guess yes. <laughs> well, I think what you're saying, Duff, applies to anyone that is trying to do the best thing. I mean, we can read the articles, we can read the books, we can follow the coaches or the trainers, but at the end of the day, you also have to take ownership and taking ownership of what is working and then tracking how you're improving and the only way to know if you're getting any better or any worse, and this applies to the garden too, the only way to know if what you're doing is working is to have some kind of record of it. And so mm -hmm. that you know what worked last year, let's repeat that. What didn't work, what was a uh, failure? And, and I hear you saying something that's really important. We've become a society that abhors failure instead of celebrating failure in that you're learning something from it. Like that wasn't working for me, but your Bulgarian lifts were, and that made you that much better, right? You know, it's, uh, it's funny, I get distracted talking to you because you remind me of two or three different other venues in which this applies exactly. And I, I'm worried about, touching on a topic for another podcast, actually. But that's exactly right. And it's, I look at, you know, the, the, just the context of sport. And all of this, of course, applies to many other aspects of your life. But I can think of two or three examples 
where this, where this, we did the same pattern within sport. And of course, in, in sport, in skeleton, I did bobsledding for many years before I did skeleton, but I did skeleton for seven years. And each year you would have the same starting point. You would know what, what you did and what worked last year, and you would alter it slightly to try and optimize that growth. You try to make that 1% a 5%. Um, with, with skeleton, we had a sled has on the bottom of it runners, what we call runners. That's what you know, people want to call them blades, but they don't actually have uh, they don't actually have an edge like a skate does. But a, a, a runner, you have a cold ice runner that is grippier and a soft ice runner that doesn't dig into the ice as much because the ice is softer. Uh, when it's warmer. And every year I would modify it just slightly to see if I could find what my line was for going as fast as I could on cold ice, but not, and digging in as little as I could, but still having enough traction. I, that's, you're always trying to walk that line. And so every year you, you move it a little bit and you, and you figure out what you've learned and you either take a step back or you go, okay, that worked. I can push that a little bit more, but that's, you know, that's a pretty specific, you know, you might think that's a specific example of the skeleton and it is, but it, it, I find that that applies in many other aspects of my life as well, just not to such a fine example, because when I'm, when I'm changing, I, I'm, I'm literally changing a runner to a fraction of a millimeter, I'm changing an aspect that's a fraction of a millimeter in one direction or, a, or another. And it's, I maintain control while I'm on the sled or I don't. But that's, that's when we're, when I'm literally looking for a hundredth or five hundredths of a second. And so for the average person in a gym, that doesn't matter. If you're trying to compete to be, you know, to be an Olympic lifter, you're literally trying to get two more pounds out of it because you're almost at the, that top point. Right, right, right. But I'm sure that, uh, so you know. How have you, um, how, how have you applied these things in your ordinary everyday life? So you learned all these great things doing this before. How did, how, how, how have you applied it? Well, I think, I think for one, in one way, it's the, the psychology. I, it's funny, when I was an athlete, there's this, and I've just, I'm in the final stages of publishing a book and the book starts, it's a book about the mind, the mindset and the, uh, the philosophy of sport and competition. And I, I start the book off by describing a, a scenario in which a psychologist came and sat down beside me in between runs, uh, in between training runs at a World Cup about a month before my first Olympics in skeleton and asked me what he could do to help. And I said, you can help by not sitting down beside me in between runs at a world cup and asking me if you could help. It's like right. I had this horrible attitude about sports psychology and how it was just for, you know, weak minded people. If you couldn't deal with the pressure, okay, we'll do some breathing exercises or do some negative thought stopping or this sort of thing. And then as soon as I was done competing and became the coach, in other words, in charge of those things for other people, I realized that's, I realized number one, I did a whole bunch of things right almost by accident or because of my upbringing or the environment that I grew up in. And number two, I realized how, how critical they were. 
you know, like they're not gonna, they're not gonna get you into the hundred meter final at the Olympics, but they'll take you out if, if you're not aware of this. Right. So, right. Jeff, do you know what one of the best ways is to learn? Well, it's to teach. Right. One right. of the best ways to learn is to teach. And that's what I heard you just say right there is that when you became the teacher, suddenly you realized, you know, what an idiot you were as the student, right? I mean, I, <laughs> but we, ha I think we've uh, all had that happen to us at least once in our life. Yeah. And I find, I find that as a parent uh, as well. I, I keep, I keep thinking, why don't you think this way? And then I'm reminded, I did not think that way when I was his age. <laughs> You know? uh, now all of a sudden you sound like your parents. What's you must be getting old. <laughs> you said yeah. something really important, Duff, about mindset. And I think, you know, whether you're trying to, you know, get one percent better at muscle tone or one percent better at powerlifting, um, you you said that I didn't realize how important my mindset was to being able to do the next thing, but not having the right mindset could actually prevent you from winning the race. You know, when athletes have performance anxiety or even someone in business has performance anxiety, what did you learn about yourself about, okay, I just lost that race. How do I go and do the next one and do better when I've just made a mistake or just crashed or whatever happened in that last race how do you move on to the next one and leave that one behind well i i think a lot of it comes back to how we you know uh, every situation is different and, and making a mistake it, it ties back to growth versus fixed mindset and carol dweck's research which i'm I, i'm i'm certain see when i talk to kids everybody's heard the definitions Kids in my part of the world, at least, I don't know what it's like in, in your town or what have you, but if I say growth mindset, a kid in, in elementary school can give me a definition of what that is. But what I think is most relevant and what is less understood or appreciated in terms of Carol Dweck's research, in terms of growth, uh, growth versus fixed mindset, ties to failure. And her whole conclusion was that ultimately a growth mindset is more successful because they don't see uh, they don't see failure as something humiliating. They don't like it, but it's not something that makes them step back and not want to participate. And that's the difference between the growth and the fixed, and why we want to avoid the fixed because the fixed see it as personally insulting and ultimately will avoid situations in when in which they might lose. And so. This is a topic that I talk about all the time because it ties directly to the foundations of sport. In other words, youth sport and what kids learned as young people. And what if we're in, you know, if we say you're so talented, you're so talented, well, you're teaching someone uh, that you're either talented or you're not. And so a, a, a sporting contest therefore becomes a proving ground and ultimately kids try to avoid situations in which they might lose. When I was raised to be the opposite way, it ties directly to a love of the game. It keeps coming back to a love of the game. It's just playing. It's not, 
uh, it's not humiliating if you lose. Of course, you're going to get scored on a hundred. You know, in my in my block, it was road hockey, hours and hours of hockey on the street. We would have these arguments at the beginning as to who, what teams we were representing. And I grew up in Toronto, so we would. It's funny because Toronto was terrible at the time, and we would argue as to who got to be the Leafs, and then the other team had to be the Islanders and the Islanders were in the middle of a four Stanley cup winning streak at the time, but it was all for fun. We never kept score until someone with a net had to leave, you know, and then it was next, you know, next goal wins. That's the only time we ever cared who won. And as a consequence, it was such a healthy environment. And so I grew up not fearing failure. And so I still to this day, and I'm 54, and I still go to, um, I haven't in a couple of years, but I, uh, I remember a couple of years ago going in this, uh, you know, they have them in Colorado, they have them in various places, 24-hour um, bike races where you have a team and it's just sort of a relay. And there was one, one year in particular where it was pouring rain and no one, you know, everyone was, you know, the top athletes were disappointed because it wouldn't be their fastest performance and I thrived under that environment because I knew the human lung you know mountain goat type of mountain biker would have to push their bike up the hill in the mud and now I bet carrying a bike me at two, 210 can push a bike up a hill as fast as a really fit mountain biker uh, and so now I'm in the race and so it's like right. I love it I love it. So it's like, how do you, it all ties back to how do you look at a challenge? How do you look at facing someone who's better than you? Because a lot, we're raising kids right now. And then that translates to our, you know, our national teams and our, and whatever down the road, it ties into how we look at, you know, the business community or how, you know, you want to get into med school, whatever the challenge is, how we're raising kids right now is to go into something where you can be successful because failures, as you say, Heather, Heather, failure is something that you should be ashamed of. And there's no, if you want to be successful, you should, you should seek out the challenge, not avoid it, which is what's happening. So be, for the sake of time, I want to kind of wrap up what you just said there, and definitely want to. I want to bring you back, and we, I want to, we want to continue this conversation like immediately. So, so for the sake of time and for this podcast, I think I think that that to sum that up is you have to celebrate the positive, all right. So whatever was positive there, and you have to be grateful for that what you did. I mean, in your street hockey, I mean, how good were you at street hockey the first time you picked up a stick? Hey, look, you should just be grateful for the fact that you got to get out there and play, all right? And if you even managed to hit that puck one time, be grateful for that and, and eat your elephant one bite at a time, step by step by step. And always remember to be positive and always remember to be grateful. So in, in conclusion to this one, and we will have you right back, as a matter of fact, we're going to bring you back on our next podcast. Um, I want you to remember to live like you're going to die tomorrow playing like you're going to live forever because you just might keep smiling and we'll see you very soon. Thank you for listening to healthy, wealthy, and grateful. Be sure to join our Facebook group. Remember, live like you are going to die tomorrow and plan like you are going to live forever. You just might. And don't forget to stop and smell the flowers along the way.